0: You're listening to the True Life Church podcast. Sermons are recorded at our Sunday gatherings from Melbourne, Florida. True Life Church guides people to take the next steps in their relationship with Jesus Christ to grow, belong, and serve. We hope this audio message encourages you to take your own next steps in faith. If you'd like to know more about our church or attend one of our gatherings, find us online at www.truelifemelbourne.com. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith.
1: So we are in, again, Acts, and uh, we've been over the last uh, chapter... Or so, in chapter 9, Saul has been converted on the road to Damascus and immediately began preaching Jesus Christ as Lord and uh, has had, had some people wanting to kill him for it. That's always a good place to be. Preaching Saul so boldly, he's got you know, people hunting for him. So he's been sent off to Tarsus, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, meanwhile, and then after that, Peter was uh, visiting other disciples in the town of Lydda and then later in Joppa. And uh, saying, Jesus Christ heals you, a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed for eight years, got up and walked. And then uh, he was sent for by more disciples, again from Joppa, of a lady, uh, uh, by, for a lady that had already died, named Tabitha. And uh, when Peter arrived there to that town, he prayed and she was brought back to life. And the result of that, as we talked about last week, was many in that town, or the entire town, in the case of Lydda, coming to know the Lord. And uh, what, a great, what a great story and reminder that is. And that, you know, it's doubtful that Aeneas ever took a step for granted again. He hadn't been able to walk for eight years, but most likely had an incredible motivation to use them legs after that. And we, you know, it's, it's doubtful that Tabitha ever took a day for granted for the rest of her life um, because she was dead and, and then brought back to life. And how great is that? And once we were walking in the newness of Christ. We tend not to take those things for granted. We're appreciative of what we have and want to use those and what God has given us, anything and uh, any opportunity uh, for his glory. So pick up with me today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 10 and invite you to stand for the reading of our scripture. Acts chapter 10 verses 1 through 9 is going to be our main reading for this morning. God's word is holy and then For at least one of those scriptures, in honor of that, we're we're standing. So Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And that's where we're going to stop. Lord, again, I pray uh, for the reading of this word that, uh, that what we talk about this morning uh, as we open uh, this text uh, would just call us into uh, better obedience and faithfulness uh, to you and for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Now, these next two chapters, beginning where we were at just a few moments ago, uh, they're all actually the one big story. Uh, We're actually going to divide this up into two, most likely three different messages, three different weeks. So we're going to hang out in this story a little while. um, And we're splitting it up not only time-wise, you know, because, I mean, you know how long I preach... Um, not only time-wise, but uh, also for focus. And uh, this, the next part of where we left off and where it goes into, is important for us over the next uh, three weeks um, to really camp out in this story because what we're going to see here is up until this point, the people and the disciples who are coming to know the Lord were Jews. And this is the moment in Acts where we start taking a significant shift So they were taking people who already had a foundation of Yahweh, uh, who worshiped God in synagogues, um, who were already Jews by that point, whether Hellenistic or around Jerusalem. They already had that monotheistic foundation. And what's going to shift here is now, over the next couple of chapters, the disciples are going to come to understand that uh, the salvation of Jesus Christ wasn't just meant for the Jews. It was meant for all people. And uh, So I, I think that's kind of important because it's doubtful that many of us in here uh, were Jews before following Christ. I was not. Um, we're just now Christian folk, uh, and we've got hundreds and thousands of years of, of, of just that. Uh, so we, we don't know anything much other than that, uh, if you've ever, you know, if you've been in, in, in faith or in church for a while. Um, but back in the day, this is a very new thing that was happening. Back in the day, obviously, meaning the text. Imagine you've been waiting and hearing this Messiah prophesied about. Oh, sure, we've read about him. You yeah, know, all the scriptures in the Old Testament, sure, uh-huh. And that's where Paul's defense was, or Saul's defense was. Uh, we read that a couple, couple weeks ago, uh, or last week even, that he was preaching it so boldly and so convictingly um, that some people wanted his head for it. And what are the scriptures that he was referring to in defense and proving that Jesus was the Christ? Well, it wasn't the New Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. All right? They, they were in it. And, and anything Paul was about to write, Galatians, Ephesians, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Colossians, anything that Paul was about to write in these letters later, hadn't been written yet. They make up our New Testament. So the scriptures that Saul, become Paul later, that Saul was using as a defense for Jesus being the Messiah was our Old Testament. Now we like to think, maybe too comfortable thinking even today, that, well, Jesus is just a New Testament dude. And everything you need to know about Jesus is found in the New Testament. Absolutely not true. Saul's defense for Jesus being the Christ was the Old Testament. And that is a journey much too long to go through compared to the scriptures that we're in today. So this is one big story we're going for. It's an important story because the Word, Word become flesh and dwelling among us. They're going to come to again realize it's for the Gentiles. And you and I would most likely fit that category. Now, here at Caesarea, the first two words, at Caesarea, and this is, in case you're curious or a Bible nerd or whatever, this isn't Caesarea Philippi, which is another town, which is northeast of the Sea of Galilee. You can read about that place mentioned in Mark, Matthew, and Luke. Uh, some miracles there. In fact, a woman who needed the uh, healing, who had been bleeding for about 12 years and reached out and touched Jesus' robe, if you know that story. Um, she was from around there, Caesarea Philippi. Regardless, um, this Caesarea town, just regular old Caesarea, is about 31 miles north of the city of Joppa. So remember, we were, if you know a little bit of geography, they were in Jerusalem. Peter left Jerusalem and went west towards the Mediterranean Sea stopped at Lydda, and then Joppa is right on the sea, and right 31 miles right up the coast, still on the Mediterranean Sea, is this town of Caesarea. And we are introduced to this guy named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now, a Roman military unit was a cohort, if you don't know what that is, a cohort had about 1,000 men. And that was divided up into ten groups of ten, or groups of 100. Uh, and a hundred. And take a guess, a centurion would usually oversee 80 to 100 men. And so we have our century today, it's a hundred years. Centurion, where do you think these words come from, from the Latin? Um, and so a centurion would be in charge over a hundred men. And so here Cornelius is the centurion in this Italian cohort. And uh, this is a cohort of archers. Uh, named the cohorts to milaria yeah miliaria italica civium Romanorum voluntarii monorum and other big Italian words or Latin words rather, um, and this is uh, a, a unit that had auxiliaries, so they were they were either conscripts what we know that they were the conscripts who were brought in of Roman citizens that would serve for a period of time or uh, they had been like conscripted, and then became Roman citizens based on the unit's service. And so they were serving over in that area. And uh, here we have this guy, Cornelius, over a hundred of these men. Now, originally the unit had been formed in Rome. This is before Cornelius came around, but the history of the units. Originally the unit had been formed in Rome of freed slaves who received citizenship. Now, what we know from the, from the word this morning is that Cornelius was a devout man who feared God with his whole house. He gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continually to God. And so you have a monotheistic or one-god Roman citizen. It was kind of a rare thing. Because, if you're unaware, the Romans, as the Greeks, were a polytheistic society. right? Many gods. And so you'd have a god of war and a... God of wine and a god of reproduction. Usually, those were the same. I'll let you figure that out. Um, you'd have a god of, um, you know, of the wheat and the harvest. You'd have a god of the sea, you know. Um, and so they'd have all these little, little gods. Uh, and this is important to know that because then again, you know, later Saul and Paul is is traveling in the cities, and he actually uses that argument. If you have all these little gods, and then you're so concerned about all these other little gods. Um, that, you have, that you don't want to miss one and you have a tomb of the unknown or the, or the shrine of the unknown god because you don't want to miss one and maybe you've forgotten one and so all random you know, miscellaneous god prayers go there. He's like, let me tell you about that guy and you've got this whole equation wrong. So anyway, Romans, just like the Greeks, were a polytheistic society. So it was, inc- it was rare. It was about 10% of the Roman Empire at that time. About 10% of the people were a mono- had a monotheistic view Now, how Cornelius became a worshiper of God is is unknown. Uh, But it wasn't completely uncommon. So he was a Gentile, simply meaning he was a non-Jew, who may have been part of a local synagogue there in Caesarea, uh, but most likely hadn't submitted to the Jewish conversion rites, like circumcision. Um, Yeah, yeah. anyway. uh, What he wasn't, however, was a Christ follower. So he knew the Lord... He was following the Lord. He's devout in the Lord. Giving alms to those who needed it. Faithful in prayer. Like, this guy's checking some boxes, right? And again, we're going to come to this over the next couple weeks. And an angel appears to him at the ninth hour. It's about 3 p.m. And that had become, it wasn't an Old Testament prescription, but it was an old, or it had become a traditional Jewish prayer time. So at three o'clock, in, an hour afternoon, they'd set a time, uh, actually multiple times a day, but three o'clock was an hour of prayer, and they would go out uh, and usually on the rooftop or someplace high, um, and and they would spend some time in prayer. So Cornelius is going out there, and and he's we know he's faithful in, in prayer because the verse right before that told us so. So he's going out and he's he's praying. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision, and in a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him his name. Again, this is another reference. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, Same thing happened to um, Ananias. When he had a vision, came and said, Ananias, and you're going to go lay hands on Saul? But yeah, but he's the Christ persecutor. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know, but he's been blind. He's come to meet me as well. And, you know, so we have... Also in the vision, Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this isn't the the, the last time we're going to come across this, or uh, a vision, and again, obviously, someone calling out someone's name. So, Cornelius is called by name, and and in essence, has is heard. God has heard your prayers. Well, these these. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. What you're doing has been seen. Your prayers have been heard. And I am answering. Now we have even more specific directions. And it's important to note, you know, that and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. Again, I love the specificity, specificness. I love the specificness of that. um, Because if you recall... Uh, we have Simon Peter, Simon who is called Peter, right? One of the apostles, um, and Simon is staying in the house. If you read verse 43 of chapter 9, he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. So you have a house with two Simons. <laughs> Simons. Either way, Simon says, you lose that game. I don't, you know, in that house, it doesn't work out well. And so it's very specific And it needed to be, and it shows again just the absolute awesomeness uh, of God of just laying this out through this vision to Cornelius because there's not just even one Simon in the house. There are two Simons. And I'm going to tell you it's the Simon called Peter. So when your guys show up asking for Simon and both of them say yes, (laughs) you're going to know which one I'm talking about. So again, how awesome is that? So Cornelius has this vision Saying, S- you got to talk to this guy. There's- you need to find this Simon Peter who's staying at-, at Simon the Tanner's house in the city of Joppa, 31 miles south of you. And the angel who spoke to him had departed. He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now can you imagine that for a second? Two servants and a soldier. Now we know the soldier was devout. Probably worshipped the same monotheistic God, Yahweh, most likely even, that, um, that Cornelius did. So we see them in the same serving each other. So Cornelius is kind of probably rubbing off his faith on some of these guys who work with him and come to know this same Lord as well. So he, he sends the devout soldier, because right, he'd probably understand that, and two servants. Can, can you again imagine trying to explain that? Yeah, I had this vision. Uh, and, and there's this dude standing in front of me. Like, but there wasn't a dude there. Yeah, yeah, I know, it was a vision. And he was standing in front of me, and, and he told me my a name. But we know your name. I know, I know. But and he told me my a name, and he said, this is what you need to go do, and with these very specific directions. Well, how do you know that this guy Simon is going to be there? Because the man in the vision told me so. Now, if you have no faith, this is crazy speak. You know, if, if you don't know God, this is ludicrous. Makes no sense. So again, it just shows you what a great God that we have. And so I just want to camp out on these first nine verses uh, today before we get into what will most likely be the meat of this over the next two weeks. And just kind of settle it and dwell on two main points. The first of which might be a little just a tiny detail, and we might not think about it often, but I'd like us to today. Um, verse 7 when the angel who spoke to him and had departed he being Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him and having related everything he sent them to Joppa what were their names? what were their names? They are not named. It's just two servants and a devout soldier. Why are we pausing here? Because we live in a culture, in a society, in an era even, that tries harder than ever to be Remembered. try to leverage technology and, like, you know, if I write something on the World Wide Web, surely it will exist forever. And, you know, there's at least a, a number of people that might pop into mind that wish something they had put on Twitter hadn't existed forever. But, but there it is. Sure, I'll be remembered forever. We, we live in a, a culture and an era in which people strive to be an influencer. An influencer. What do you do? I'm an influencer. What do you influence? Things. Peoples. To do what? Things. like They want to be an influencer on social media to have, have tons or millions of fo- followers. Like, we, we live in an era where people strive to be famous to be notable, to matter, to make a difference. And what it really is, if we're honest, it's a search for immortality that is fruitless because it's not rooted in Christ. It's a search for immortality that is fruitless because it's not rooted in Christ. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11, you don't have to turn there, just one verse. <sighs> It's written, He has made, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Man has eternity in our hearts, meant to draw us, and remind us, the one true living God. Yet, in this search for immortality, people will try to bypass Christ's being the way, the truth, and the life, to have that. And they'll try to fulfill that themselves. Now, Cornelius had come to the knowledge of this one true Lord, but not Christ yet, and again, we'll get there next week. But I want us today to actually think about these servants and a devout soldier. I'm going to spend some time with Cornelius next week as well. But for, again, a moment, let's think about these servants and a devout soldier. Again, who were they? Two servants and a devout soldier, right? Um, They're not named. Their name is not there. I think sometimes we try so hard to be remembered for people to know who we were But the Old and the New Testaments are completely filled, completely filled with people whose names we will never know. We know some of the big ones, David, Solomon, Noah, Abraham, Moses. We know some of them, but think of how many countless millions, if not more, that that are simply unnamed. Unnamed that just, like, tagged along with a group or one of the 300 that stood with Gideon in that moment of triumph. Not named. At had a meeting with a pastor friend of mine, Dr. Dow Cottrell, who's up at the First Baptist Arantia, and uh, he was talking about a book with me, and he's like, I'm going to get you that book. That was great. So it was able to meet up with him this past Monday, and he gave me that book that we were talking about uh, so I could read it. And in the front, in the little front page he wrote, because um, he's that guy, he, he's, he, has, he has a book problem, you know, and so his, his job is to try to convert me. Um, I don't have a book problem. Um, my, my book problem is trying to read the books when I have time. Um, he loves to read, and so he's like, I got this book for you. And in the front of this little book, uh, he wrote this. Love the Lord with everything. Preach the word faithfully. Love everyone. Be willing to be forgotten. Be willing to be forgotten. In our pursuit of Christ, serving Him, even being a soldier for the gospel. That pursuit requires a new and a not-worldly-given selflessness. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer about us. It's not about what you do or accomplish. It's not about what I do or accomplish. It's about God and his purposes. It's what it's always been about. And if we're not careful, we can slip up even just in this couple of words in verse 7. Say, I want to be remembered. I want my name to matter. Come on, it's just two servants and a soldier. How hard would it have been to put, you know, Billy and Johnny and Dexter? Like, it's the same numbers of words. How hard would it have been to put Bill and John and Dexter? And then we come to this question. Let's say the names were there. Would it have changed the story? Had those names been there, they would have not changed the story. It's still, again, all about God's purposes and God's glory. So our first stop here is just to be reminded to not pursue your name. Pursue the name of Christ above all. Don't live this life trying to make your name great. But speak the name of Christ. Live out for Christ, as Paul wrote. It's no longer me, but Christ in me. This is why I live. Don't pursue your name. You might not be remembered all that long. Be willing to be forgotten for the sake of Christ. Before we get into our second point here, just kind of remind us of where we're at. So we have Cornelius, so far in our text today, is a God, God-fearing and devout man who's giving generously and faithful in prayer. So that's Cornelius. We don't know too much about him, except for these few verses and a little bit that comes after. So we've just been recently introduced. But Peter, we have a little bit more background on, to this point, chronologically, We know that he's an apostle of Christ, one of the twelve original disciples there. He's he's the one who attempted to walk on water, right? Uh, He's the one who denied Christ three times until the rooster crowed, but was then later restored by Jesus after the resurrection. Uh, Peter is a significant founder of the church, and already in Acts, we've read about some incredible things that God has done through and because of Peter. In the text, so we've got the day of Pentecost. They were all gathered in the upper room. And they, they go out, have the tongues of uh, fire resting on each one. They go out speaking all the languages and stuff. And then P- we have Peter's speech, which again is arguably not that long. But good enough. God used good enough to, for 3,000 people that day to come to know the Lord. Which is comfort to me, because those are much better words than mine. And I'm okay with that. You know, 3,000, all right, let's go for one. That's, that's my level. And Peter, at my level. Um, and that's okay. So he's got, had an incredible message on Pentecost. He's already been imprisoned and beaten for his faith and proclaiming Jesus Christ. And then just last week, we read that because of that name, again, Jesus, he's raising people from the dead. And people who were lame and paralyzed for eight years and are now walking. Iconic men, right? Great heroes of the faith. Why? There is at least part of the true answer. And it's found in some of it right here in this chapter if we're looking. So for Cornelius, we have Acts chapter 10, verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius. Again, what was the ninth hour of the day? Three o'clock. Three o'clock. And what did, what did devout people usually do at three o'clock? They prayed. they prayed. And we have confirmation of that. If you want to turn over to verse 30, same chapter. Acts 10, verse 30. So we're going to fast forward just a little bit so we, we, we hear some of this. And Cornelius said, four days ago, this is four days in the future, Obviously, four days ago, about this exact time, about this hour, I was chilling. No, I was having my afternoon nap and snack. No, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, right about this time. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and it goes on in Cornelius, and he tells the same story that we have now heard. So we know what Cornelius is up to when this vision happens. And there's a reason we read one verse past the little dividing section, which is so convenient, put there for us. There's a reason we went into Acts chapter 10, verse 9. And this is that one day after Cornelius was praying, and three days before the people get there, this timeline adds up, in case you're curious. This is the day after Cornelius, the next day, as they were on their journey... These people who had already been sent by Cornelius are on their way and approaching the city of Caesarea. Peter, all right, or sorry, of Joppa, Peter, now on the roof of Simon the Tanner's house, Peter goes up there to what? In verse 9, to to pray. So we have Cornelius, who was a man of prayer. We have Peter, we've already read much in the Old Testament, or sorry, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, as now here, just continuing to reinforce that Peter also a man of prayer do you see a correlation I'm just putting it out there it's kind of like a hopefully the light bulb is already clicked on by this point and these are just words James chapter 5 again you don't have to turn here James chapter 5 just two verses James chapter 5 verses 16 therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then just as a throwback, let's hit Proverbs really quick. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. All right, so we have Old Testament, we have New Testament showing us, just in a couple of verses, how important prayer is and our hearts as we do so. We know Cornelius was a devout and faithful man, doing what the Scriptures had told him to do, to give generously, to be faithful in prayer. All right, Fear God, that's an important thing. All right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So we know Peter's about the same work. And I would say that Cornelius, based on the text and as well as Peter, are faithful in prayer, right? Turn with me to Romans. I will invite you to turn there. Romans chapter 12. We're going to read just a little bit. Verse 1 through 21. Paul writes this later to the church in Rome. And I want you to consider like he's writing it to us today. He said, I appeal to you therefore. Listen up. Pay attention. I beg you. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Again, be willing to be forgotten. For the sake of Christ. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let's use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, with passion, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And those of us in our spiritual gifts class, you've, these are probably a little familiar right now, it's so cool. But let's continue. Verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, lazy in passion, but be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. And here we are in verse 12, if you don't have it underlined, this is the main reason we're reading before and after this, so we get it all. But rejoice in hope. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Oftentimes, we settle for this Christian-like phrase. How's your prayer life? Ever heard that before? I've heard it before. A lot. How's your prayer life? Like, have a life separate? from? That's the point. See, a believer's life should be filled with prayer, right? We should be constant in prayer. There shouldn't be a separate life that we have for our prayer. And we pray over here irregularly, and do that thing, and then here's the rest of our life, like where we do what we want, when we want, how we want. Yeah. woohoo! And then, oh, and then prayer, life. Regular life, prayer life. Regular life, prayer life. For the believer, there should be no difference. So, you know, from this point forward, I hope here at True Life Church, we just won't ask, how's your prayer life? We can ask things like, Have you prayed today? And questions should be asked like, how often are you praying, believer? Because what we've read here in Romans is that if you aren't, our church body will have a problem. Because we're all members of one another, belonging to one another. We need to be a praying church. We can ask What are you praying for? Who are you praying for? And here's a fun one. How long are you praying? There's a direct correlation between the time spent in prayer and someone's faith. You want to find a weak believer, a weak Christian... Ask them what their prayer life looks like. And it, it won't be much. Maybe a short little ditty before the meal. The same prayer you prayed the last time you ate a meal. And the one before that, you forgot. But then the one before that, the same prayer again. Yeah. Which by itself is not necessarily a bad thing. But friends, if we are following in Christ, we should be growing in our prayer life, right? Yeah, Not saying the same thing, 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 the same thing. You're already sick of it. Yeah. Yeah. I just did it eight times. Or seven. I don't know. I lost count. It doesn't matter. <laughs> We should be growing in our prayer life. See what I did there? We should be growing in our life of prayer. Praying, a praying people. See, prayer prepares you. I challenge you to read 1 Samuel 17 and the story of David and Goliath, you don't have to turn there. But if it were some of us going out there and then having the spiritual fervor and the zeal that we just read about in Romans to be like, this guy, this tall dude's making fun of our God, Uh -uh uh-uh-uh. No, no, no. We're going to handle this. Let me offer up a whole bunch of prayer right now before I go into battle. You can't find it in there. It's not in the text. Now, what we do know before and after that the battle, uh, the battle of with David and Goliath, which is a short one. In case you're curious, it's a short one, but it rocked. Um, <laughs> uh, stop it! You get that one for free. Uh, I'm just slinging them out there today. I don't know what to do. It's a tall order for jokes. Anyway. Um, where was I? <laughs> what we do know is before the battle with David and Goliath, David was a man after God's own heart. Spending time in prayer and worship. And then after that, we have most of these things called the Psalms, which most of them come from after that. We know that David had a heart for the Lord in worship and in prayer. And because he had done those things, because he was in worship, because he was in prayer, because he was a man after God's own heart, he was ready for the battle that lay ahead of him. He didn't have to go off in some weird corner and offer up 17 Hail Marys, which is not biblical anyway. But we kind of have this mindset where we view prayer as in going to the dentist. And what I mean by that is some of you don't floss every day. Some of you may not brush two to three times a day. Getting our kids to learn this is fun. Yay, parents, you know what I'm talking about. You know, But growing up, there probably wasn't a person in the room who it was your scheduled time to go to the dentist, and you knew... The last six months or a year, you'd slack some. You hadn't floss, you hadn't brushed, But man, that day before the dentist, that hour, that hour before the dentist appointment, <laughs> not enough. <laughs> you know, and so you, you know you're. They know too because you're walking into the dentist. Your gums are already bleeding because you, <laughs> like, you just floss. No, I didn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. You did, and they tell you, floss more. I know. It. I'm so bad, mad. Right? That, that's what it is. And so many Christians today have a mindset of prayer like it's just the dentist. They're living their life. They're living their lives. Oh, I, now I really need something. Pray, It's just that... Nope. we read from Proverbs 15 as well as the New Testament earlier how much prayer matters when you are a righteous person. And in Proverbs fifteen eight, it didn't say, eh, sacrifices of the wicked. They're semi-okay. He'll take them on a good day. No, they're an abomination to the Lord. If our hearts are wicked, if our hearts aren't in the right place, and we're praying, you ain't doing nothing. Except offending the Lord. Ooh, that's fun to think about. Prayer is preparation. So that when the battle comes, your faith in the Lord is there, and you just walk, and God, you got this. I don't have to pray now. I've been prayed up. I've been prayed up every day. I've been prayed up every day at 3 o'clock. For years. So that when this moment comes, when this thing happens, when we find out someone has cancer, when someone has the tragic accident, okay, Because I'm prepared. We're not blindsided in a way that the world would freak out. And we have the peace that passes understanding. That God imparts to us. Often through prayer. Prayer is preparation. Prayer is also speaking to and listening from God. Speaking to God. And a lot of times, again, like a child, we we just talk. Here's what I want here's what I need. Unfortunately, sometimes we have this perspective of God being a genie. Make it happen. And again, that's not the God we serve. We do a great job often of probably talking during our prayer time. But I would encourage you that when you pray, if you do not build in time to be still Psalm 46, 10, and know that God is God. To listen, to be quiet before the Lord. He may be speaking to you, but you're so loud and incessant, you won't hear the answer. Build in time when you pray to be still before the Lord, to quiet your heart, And listen. Prayer cultivates the faith of the believer. Again, there's a direct correlation between those who pray more and those who are more faithful. We see it here again just in two dudes, Cornelius and Peter, both men of prayer, which is going to lead us to my last little thing. It's not up on screen because I wasn't sure I was going to dwell on them too much or not before we close. Three o'clock every day, Cornelius And Peter could be found doing the same thing. To reference another icon, another great man of faith, Daniel, who wanted to be entrapped by the other leaders who did not like him and said, You know what? We're gonna make this, we're gonna encourage the king to make this rule. That you can't pray to anyone else other than this king. And if we do, you're gonna be thrown in the den of lions. Ha ha! Now, why did, they, why did they make up that little law? Because they knew exactly how to try to trap Daniel. They knew where he was going to be. They knew what he was going to be doing. At 3 o'clock, he was going to be praying. And maybe at 12, maybe at 9. And what we discover is that for many people who we actually read about in the text, their constant in prayer was not only... In between, but scheduled. So it's a worthwhile question to ask today. Is your prayer time scheduled? Because I guarantee you everything else is. You know when soccer starts, you know when this Zumba class meets, you gotta be there for this, little taekwondo for that. I bet your work is scheduled, you don't just kind of show up at a random hour. Right? That, in, in fact, that, problem, that schedule might be made up to someone else, and you just have to say, Yes, I will be there at 4.30, Wendy's, and just show up. You don't just be like, Nah, I'm gonna do 10 o'clock today. Now, when I was growing up, Wendy's didn't even do breakfast, so they were closed, right? And, you know, that wouldn't even work. I bet you so many things on your calendar are scheduled and not this. This is encouraging for myself too. I say encouraging because you probably feel convicting. But it's encouraging. This is motivating. This is spurring each other on for good works. And one of the good works is prayer, and lots of it, by a church who is committed to prayer, and lots of it. I will encourage you today to look at your calendar. We're about to start. Some of y'all have already started, but are about to start school or a new semester. And a new calendar and a, and a new timeline of events or a new hobby or, you know, whatever it is. Because we're semester-minded people. We have fall and through winter and we have new semester and then there's other. And then we go around again, right? And so we're getting, we're right on this cusp of new schedule of making time. I have to do this with my piano students. I'm sitting there, all right, how can we... Do everybody's schedules and work your time between two days. And it's, yay. So you're putting things on the calendar. Put prayer on your daily calendar. And stick to it. And I hope it's more than five minutes. I'd say realistically, I'd at least shoot for 30. 30 minutes, yes. Yeah. Because what we're finding is a a Christian America is not spending any time in prayer. Regardless of what everybody else is going to do. Joshua 24, 15 is for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. It's my heart and my hope for us here at True Life Church that we are a praying church. You don't know where to start. That's great. We have two Prayer journals out there in the cafe. Take one home. They're also available online on our website. Just download it. You can, If you don't know where to start, that's a great place to start. Read your word. Build on that time every day. Read these prayer cards that many of you put up there. I know, I know the snacks are great. I know fellowship time is good. But don't walk by that board without looking. Making a note. Taking a picture of one or two things. It might not even have a name attached to it. And your name might not ever be known for praying for it. But be in prayer. So let's be a praying people. And let's be a people who are willing to be forgotten for the sake of Christ. It's not about your name. It's not about my name. But The name of Christ above all names. And for that, there is much joy, Right? Let's, ironically, let's pray.
0: Thanks for listening to this message. This weekly podcast is a ministry of True Life Church. If you'd like to help keep these audio sermons available, you can support our ministry online at www.truelifemelbourne.com forward slash give. Until next time, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.